I recover loudly because silence kills is probably my favorite little quote because there's so much shame as y'all know around all of this and I am so like proud to be an addict a recovering addict but an addict like it might sound crazy to some but I I mean I got my shirt recover out loud you know um <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I, I wear my jacket says, ask me about Narcan training. Like I wear it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I am so proud to be an addict and a recovering addict that we are the, we're the strongest people. We're warriors. You know, we've beat things that other people couldn't dream uh, of ever living through, let alone getting through. Um, and most of us don't make it. So I refuse to ever be silent. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. The clip you just heard is a clip from today's guest, Amanda. Amanda is a harm reduction and mat recovery advocate. She works for a program in South Carolina called Wake Up Carolina that provides resources to people seeking detox, seeking treatment, seeking help. And she is the only guest I've ever had and probably I would imagine will ever have that provided not only her program's hotline number and contact information, but her own personal work cell phone number at the end of the show. I've also included in the show notes so that you guys, specifically the Chasing Heroin family, may reach out to her if you are looking for treatment, if you are looking for detox. Her list of resources are primarily located in South Carolina, but she said she will do her best to hand you off to somebody in your state that can provide you with local resources. And I am so grateful that she offered herself for that. I've never had anybody do that. This woman truly cares so, so much about keeping people safe and preventing overdose. This episode does deal with a few sensitive subjects, including fatal overdose and an alleged homicide. During the incident, you will hear several sensor beeps. Nate and I made the decision that though this person was investigated as a suspect, they were not actually charged with a crime. So we've omitted the name of this person, but she does discuss the details. So please take care while listening. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Please reach out to me with any feedback, reach out to Nate with any feedback, and thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. My name is Janine. I'm an alcoholic addict in recovery. My sobriety date is January 15th, 2015. And my name is Narcan Nate and I'm an, an addict in recovery and my sobriety date is October 28, 2018. I need to add that to the Instagram, by the way. I was going to ask you. Okay, okay 1028. That's good yeah, to know. 1028. Um, and I'm super excited. We have today um, Amanda, who I don't know a lot about, which is great. I was just telling her off air, like, I like it when I don't, I know some stuff, right? Um, but I don't know a ton. I just know that JR recommended you and I love JR. He's like the sweetest, kindest soul ever. Do you, do you know him pretty well? Have you interviewed with him before? Uh, so actually I have. And then I was able to co-host his actual show the other oh, day. Oh, cool. Oh, fun. Okay. So when he told me that he was 52 years old, I almost like... Dude, the guy looks 35. It's like weird, right? Like, and he, and he went to prison forever and did all this heroin and smoked a bunch of crack. His drug of choice was crack. And the guy looks 35. Like, I'm not kidding. While we were talking, I was like, oh, he's like my brother's age. And then at some point he brought up his, his years of 
prison time were like starting to add up while we were talking. And I was like, wait a minute, did you start going to prison when you were four? How fucking old are you? And he was like, girl, I'm 52. I was like, no, the fuck you're not. He looks so good and he's so sweet, you know? Did he have a regimen for how he looked uh, that that young? I should have asked him. <laughs> because most people That's that most really most question. people that smoke crack, like it, I mean, I'm not. It it just hits you hard. I like know. it like takes its toll. That's what I said. <laughs> and his drug of choice was mainly because they say that heroin preserves you, right? Like heroin addicts, like sometimes look younger. But I've never heard that about crack. I should actually ask him. I think it preserves <laughs> us because our our life expectancy is shortened tremendously. Yeah. I think that's how Maybe it preserves. That's it. Yeah, better. that's why we look better because we die younger. <laughs> Or like I didn't get a lot of sun exposure because I was inside all the time in a bathroom. Oh, you know? yeah, that's so there's that. Okay, um, that's true. You know, <laughs> but yeah, he looks so good and he's such a sweet person. So I'm glad that he. I'm so glad that he connected us. I, you should have been there to ask him what he did for his skin. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Sorry, that's a great. I, I'm just curious. I'm just curious because like most people, and I'm not making fun of anybody, but no, everybody I know right. that, that smokes crack, like it, it hits them really hard. Like <laughs> they're like. Him. I'm I'm thinking like right now like some heavy Botox like I'm just saying know, like a heavy regimen of Botox. I need to ask him. Maybe he has like a Clarisonic or like uses retinol. So I'm gonna ask him what his skin routine is. Um, okay, but anyway, um, so back to you, Amanda. Um, if you don't mind, just letting us know like where you're from, how you got started using, what your drugs of choice were, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, basically, I'm from South Carolina, um, Charleston, South Carolina. And my story is kind of, I guess, different than any that I've really heard. So I started using um, smoking weed. I was 18. Like my childhood was normal. Grew up in a great family. My dad's now a retired cop. My mom's now a retired nurse. So they were obviously working then. Um, and I had a really great childhood. No trauma, no triggers, no nothing. Um, so I met my husband, Kenny. When I was 15 in high school, we basically, long story short, got married at 18, got pregnant at 19 with our first daughter, who's about to turn 12 this Thursday. Um, and so when I had my C-section with her, they prescribed pain medicine, right? Um, oxys. And I took them. It was a C-section. Um, it was very traumaful. I almost died giving birth to her. Um, it was a whole bunch of things, but basically the epidural, instead of going waist down, when they scooted me up in the bed, it went waist up. What? Yeah. And I'm so serious. So I quit breathing and they were like calling codes and the, my, my daughter was coding on the baby monitor. She was still in womb and like, she didn't breathe for eight minutes after she was born. I mean, literally eight minutes after she was born. So, okay, this is like my worst nightmare. So you uh, you can't breathe. No, it's okay. I, I, I've decided not to have kids for because of reasons like this. So you're, you're not turning me off. I already made this decision. So you couldn't breathe, but you could still feel everything from the waist down? Pretty much. So I went in, they, um, they started the Pitocin to put you in active labor. Right. That was like 15 hours of it, ridiculously. They broke my water too early. They basically were like, broke my water. And then you're supposed to be like a certain amount of centimeters dilated before you get the epidural. But they basically pressured me into it because he was the anesthesiologist was going to go into another surgery and they didn't know how fast. So I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right now, right now, you know, right now, right now. Um, first baby, I'm freaking terrified. So 
I get the epidural. So I had the epidural for 23 hours that <gasps> I cannot move my lower half. Everything's fine at this point. I just can't move for 23 hours. Finally, they come in and I'm nine centimeters dilated instead of 10. And they tell me I can start pushing. Well, I pushed for the epidural had wore off by then. Oh my God. So I'm literally 23 hours with an epidural, can't move, no labor. Epidural wears off. Oh, push. An hour and a half, I'm pushing, no epidural. So then it wasn't progressing. So they were going to do a, just a like, C-section, just a regular C-section. They send my husband, Kenny, into the bathroom to gown up and all. In the three, four minutes that he had gone, get, they had given him the scrubs, put him in the bathroom. <clears throat> they had brought the epidural, like anesthesiologist, back in to numb my waist down again since it had worn off. Right. And they had to grab my arms, like under my arms and like scoop me up in the bed because I had just been pushing for an hour and a half. Anyway, when they pulled me up, I guess they didn't realize that it went like this instead of like this. Okay. And so as soon as they like he was walking in the bathroom as they were pushing it in. And in that three or four minutes, I just they thought I was having a panic attack. Yeah. And I kept saying, like, no, 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 no. I, I, I like I cannot breathe. And it just lights out. I mean, oh my just, God. everything started getting dark. And I just remember, and I remember the monitors going off and they're saying the baby's coding. She's coding. Holy and, shit. Yeah. So they tore me into the, um, they tore the bed out the wall. Like the whole plug came out the wall. Um, literally they took no time to unplug it. They tore it out the wall, got me to the surgery, um, like a surgical operating room. And then they had to reverse the epidural right? Because it was killing me. So oh they reversed it and I'm passed out. I come to, and they're cutting me open and I feel it. I'm so serious. I'm, I couldn't make it up y'all. No. Like <laughs> I, I remember, I remember them cutting and I came to, and they, they were like, Oh, she's back. And then I felt it and was like, wham, oh out again. God. You know, your That's body can crazy. only take so much. Yeah. So anyway, I woke up one more time after that. And they said, Amanda, you know, you, you had a baby girl and I'm like, I know. And then they went to suture it. And I was like, bam, out again. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. But okay. she, you know, eight minutes, she didn't breathe, Holy but she's shit. fine. She's hundred percent smart as a whip. Thank God. Literally. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, that so you started. needed the Oxycontin is the moral of yeah. the story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was the moral of the, of the and that was when they were, And that's when they were still prescribing like regular Oxycontin, right? Like yeah. cool, blue, whatever. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. they sent so, you home with a prescription. Yeah. Pretty big one. Um, and so at that point I had not ever taken any painkillers. My husband, Kenny, unfortunately. Um, so I won't say who directly, but my very close in-laws um, got a lot of oxys prescribed to them <clears throat> and um i'll say it as they benefited from us being addicted okay so he was always pretty much like a year ahead of me in addiction uh so he was already using unfortunately then okay but so i i got out c-section pain medicine took it like i was supposed to it got better <clears throat> i quit taking it because i didn't need it right i felt better but i felt like crap for yeah. like three, four days. And I was like, why do I feel so shitty? You know? And so I was walking out, it was raining ironically. And I had the like baby carrier on my arm, the car seat and I'm walking down and I slipped 
And I did this like ninja turtle, crazy <laughs> sumo, like hoo-ha thing to try to save her and like yeah. flipped her up to catch her. And I tore my incision back open. Oh no. Yeah. So I had to go back in. They had to sew it back, more pain medicine, took it, felt good. And was like, oh shit, this is not good. You know, like, yeah, dude. Ding, oh, ding, ding. Yeah. so um, did yeah. you kind of know that you had been withdrawing from the pills and then getting back on that? Did you know, or did you not really know that? I had no idea. Okay. Absolutely but when you no took idea. them again, you put it together. You were like, oh yeah, that's the missing piece. Okay. Yep. What and, was, um, what was the, to interrupt you, what was, what was it like the first time you took a, an oxy? What was it like? So I would say after my C-section, um, it was just really like tired. Honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't really like it in specifically. I did not like it, but I didn't like it. I was, you know, it was so much pain. Right. But once it got to a point, I remember the first time I took it when I didn't need it. Right. And I loved it. Okay. I was like, oh shit, let's clean. Let's yeah. Go <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, where's the stroller? Where's the dog? <laughs> Super go. mom. Yeah. Seriously. I'm ready for another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about opiates because I'm like a real high energy person, obviously, as is Nate. And like, we were just talking about pre-workouts that we want. Like we low key, like want some with like amphetamines. I mean, not really, but like, yeah. you know, I want stimulants, right? That's the thing. And people are like, they picture heroin addicts or opiate addicts is just like nodded out. And I'm like, no, that's not how it starts. Typically your life gets a lot better at first, right? I got better at teaching. I got better at cleaning stuff. I'm a slob and I would like go through my clothes and try them all on and like steam them. And, you know, in the beginning you've got, you know, energy. Oh yeah. Buku energy. Yeah. I mean, and you don't have to, what was so great, not great, but great then an active addiction. Great. Um, was that I was on such a, I only had to do a small milligram. So it wasn't right. expensive. And right. part of my in-laws was that they, they were giving it to us or like we would go to the pharmacy and we would pay <clears throat> for an in-laws prescription and they got like 150 of them and so we'd pay like 60 bucks and get half of them right right you know and so and then it grew to like oxy 10s oxy 20s oxy 30s like as it progressed so let me ask you about that progression so you you slipped incision ripped open went back got more pain pills i'm assuming you were in genuine legitimate pain for a little bit longer didn't feel them yet and then was it like two to three weeks you were no longer in pain from the incision and then you remember taking one and it was good like what was the time frame there maybe like a month after that like when did they start becoming not for pain and for mood I would say about two weeks I think okay. you're right about two weeks and then you were on it and then you just continuously kept taking them after that you know what no isn't that crazy oh. it's I know it's it's not no I'm telling you my story is just so weird um no so I, I was on him for a while. And then, um, like I said, my husband was always like a year ahead. So we started having a lot of like issues with his use and partying and, you know, get nodding out and all this. And I wasn't there yet. So he was snorting pills and I was only orally taking them at that point. Right. Right. So it was like a lot of breaking up. I mean, we were married, but like, you know, separating, getting back together. Right. So I would pull myself off. I would get like, um, Tramadol. I was like, what is it called? Tramadol, old tram, whatever. Okay. Um, and I would get myself off and okay. then I would be good for like a few weeks, a month. 
and then I would kind of fall back into it. Um, so I kind of went like e e e e for yeah. actually like three years. Oh wow. Um, yeah, until I got pregnant with my now eight year old Braylee. Okay. Um, and so my husband at this point had started doing heroin and shooting up. So when I got pregnant with her, with Braylee, I completely quit everything, cold turkey, didn't take another thing, quit smoking, not one pill, whole pregnancy. But I realized before, because I was able to get off, I think mentally, I didn't know, I didn't know a diddly squat about addiction. Okay. Like yeah. I had no idea what we were doing. Like yeah. I did not realize the long-term effects that were going to come after this three and a half year span. Yeah just to speed it up, I realized that it was going to be a problem when I was so excited to have my little baby, hold my little baby, oh, the baby. But what I was second most excited about was going to that freaking hospital and getting that damn Demerol shot. Yeah. And I was like, that's not good. I mean, that's not good. That's not good. So C-section with her, I overtook the pills after that and that's when it really like for sure consistently was taking them like ever up until when I got sober did you graduate yeah. to heroin ever also or did you just stay with pills so I did not I've okay. never used um actually never done any drugs other than opiates and like ambient sleep and weed um okay only because my husband, Kenny was six, two and like two forty, And he knew that if I did it, I would die. I'd love it. And so he's very big and he was very scary and nobody would dare sure. get near me with any of it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> you get out, you're still using, he's doing heroin. How do we get to what happens with him and what eventually got you sober? Cause I know this is a pretty crazy story. What happened? Yeah. So over after I had Braley for like the three years leading up, I, he was in and out of jail, like 17, 18 different times. I went to jail, petty larceny, shoplifting. I was like stealing flat, just putting a bunch of like 50 inch, 47 inch flat screens in a buggy and walking out. Right. Uh, like Walmart. Is, was this at Walmart? Yeah, Please tell me it was at Walmart. <laughs> I'm from I'm from Tennessee if you don't know this so I used to work at Walmart and I used to see like like I was selling dope in there at in Walmart and like trying not to get caught but I would also see like people like um like running and stealing like I was a manager there as well and they would like pull me for stops and I'm like oh I'm such a piece of shit because I'm like selling dope in Walmart and they're pulling me to make stops for people oh, no. but I just oh. wanted, I just wanted to make sure it was Walmart so I <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry but I just had to ask <laughs> yeah no yeah it was Walmart <laughs> um, and Target and then it graduated to Home Depot and Lowe's because that's right my yeah. Dope yeah. dealer and pill dealer was building a house out in the country and he had like a shit ton of pills and so he was like basically if you you know if you I'll give you a list and if you go get it I'll trade you and I was like shot damn so uh, that's when it, my addiction like took to the sky. I mean, spiral out of control. Cause I, instead of getting, instead of being like 60, 90 milligrams snorting, I was like snorting 300 milligrams of oxy at a time, yeah. multiple times a day. Yeah. So, anyway, to speed up. Well, um, I have one quick, one quick question. Did you guys ever get CPS involved during this time with both of y'all going to jail? Six times. Oh shit. Damn. Yes, ma'am. Six you times. To, in, did you have to go through all the things? Were they ever removed or did 
would you just do the things to keep them? Like how did, what happened with that? Each time it was about a year that they were okay. involved. Okay. And so okay. they did, I guess you'd say technically get removed. So we had to have a protector. Okay. So meaning like a guardian for them okay. or when they're around us. So normally how that looked was that, um, my husband would stay at our house that we shared together. And then my kids would be that my protector would be my parents. Okay. So we never wanted them to lose both of us at the same time. So I would kind of temporarily move back into my parents with the kids. Okay. And then we would go through all the steps and fight to get them back. So, so yeah, we got through and actually, um, when I'm about, you know, getting to my husband and what happened, they were investigating at this time. So uh, okay. after a bunch of, you know, jail and drugs and it being so bad and us fighting, my husband had started using meth and whacked out. Um, and so the police got called. He actually called the police on himself. To oh my God. Himself. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Y'all. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. He called the EMS and police on himself to prove to me that he was okay. Oh my God. And I was like, you really messed us up, dude. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so January of 2008, um, DSS got involved again. They started knocking on the door. We had to have a protector, Lottie Dida. I was at that point, I had been driving to Walmart <laughs> and crying on the way there. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm so sick of this shit. I don't want to go to jail. I'm sick of going to jail, you know, and they were hitting me with five charges and they were saying that I was going to have an enhancement for each freaking charge. And yeah. in South Carolina that they, what they told me is that it's a 90 day guaranteed each charge. Okay. So five charge, 90 days each without even being sentenced, just the enhancement. I was like, oh shit with this. Uh, no, 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 no. And I, my dad, like I said, was a cop. My mom was a nurse. I was embarrassing them while I'm getting misdemeanors. My sister's getting felonies because she's an active addiction too. Oh my God. Um, yeah, like serious stuff. So well, not that mine wasn't, but you know, more like felonies is what I mean. So anyway, <clears throat> I was sick of it. I was crying. I didn't want to do it. I, you know, all um, guilt. I truly feel like God planted extra guilt <laughs> in me. If that, I know it sounds crazy, but because um, for a while I didn't give a shit. I felt Walmart's got insurance. They got yeah. insurance. That's what they got it for. You know, fuck them. Fuck this. Uh, I need to get high. You know, I don't want to be sick. And so basically I was sick of it. And so when DSS got involved, I was like, listen, Kenny, my husband, I'm sick of this. Like, you have to be sick of this. Like, aren't we sick of this? Like, you know, we have to do something here. Methadone, Matt, all kind of like that kind of treatment um, was kind of like, oh, it's a bunch of junkies getting high, doing stuff out the door, yada, yada. The stigma on it was disgusting. So years before I had wanted to do it and got turned away. So I was calling, looking for outpatient beds, inpatient, couldn't find anything. Long story short, I found the methadone clinic and said, I'm at least going to try it. I've got to do something. <clears throat> so I started the methadone clinic February 1st of 2018. My husband was not ready to do it yet. He wasn't sure how he felt about methadone. Um, you know, we were, our neighbor was his like meth and heroin dealer. So yeah. it, you know, and we were coming out of active addiction. So we didn't have the money to move and like get him out of there yet. You know, that was the plan, but we couldn't do it yet. So Fast forward, um, so the end of May, so actually um, this Friday is oh his God. death anniversary. Oh my God. 
Yeah, the 27th. And my daughter turns 12 on the 26th. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, so I was about three, three and a half months clean when he was, um, killed. So somebody, a hot shot in his neck while he was on the toilet. Wait, they know that he was using the restroom and somebody went in and did it. They know that for sure. Yeah. Because, um, I found him and he was dead on the floor pants, like down some, and that's where he would get high. So like what I'm pretty sure happened was, like I said, the day before was our daughter's birthday. We had done a bunch of stuff with her all day, but we couldn't finish because it was so late. So we were planning on, it was, that was a Sunday. So we were planning on Sunday, the 27th to finish and take her to a movie and finish the plans. So I know that he wouldn't have like used a ton because he wouldn't want to nod out at the movie, but he'd have to use enough to not be sick. So I think he was like using and used a little bit and that got him kind of like in that nod and that gave the person who brought it to him the chance to, it came up like behind, like where this, like behind me, the door was like right here to the bathroom. Like if I'm on the toilet, the door is right here. Uh-huh. So they just came right to the door and just, you know, and so the corner said like two in as in Nancy, I don't know what it means, but two in G's would kill like a elephant horse farm, but he and his blood work was 9.7. Do you know? And if I ask anything that's like too sensitive and that you don't want to answer, you know, let me know. Um, do you know why somebody would want to kill your husband? Um, so I don't know a for sure reason, but I think I know the reason. So, um, so the guy who killed him was doing a lot of, he had already been to jail prison. He was on like papers and he was pistol whipping, beating his girlfriend. My husband was not okay with beating women. He was going and stealing like stuff, like parking at our house and jumping fences and going and breaking into stuff. So he obviously was a felon and not supposed to have a gun. So there were a bunch of things going on. And one night the guy pistol whipped his girlfriend in front of my husband. And I think that they got into like, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure, especially with the autopsy, all the bruises and scratches and stuff that I found out he had after he died. Um, There was a pretty big fight, physical fight because of that, from my understanding. Uh, And so I think the guy who killed him knew that if he said anything, he would never, he'd go to prison and never come back out. Right. Um, on top of that, my, our neighbor, so Randy was his first name. Um, Randy had an unlimited amount of meth. <laughs> who killed my husband had an unlimited supply of heroin. Randy's people wanted heroin. <laughs> people wanted meth. So my husband became the middleman because he was friends with both of them, but they weren't friends. So he was the middleman. And so, um, you know, there, there was mention of like cartel on the meth side, like crazy things. Like, um, I don't know any like for sure details, obviously I was not there and my husband would have never told me anything to put me at risk. But I know that when we were at our house, he was like whispering things to me because he thought the house was bugged. Oh, shit. So, yeah. So, so. the per- has this person been charged with this murder or this is just, this is your theory? This is what you believe? 
So, um, so it's my theory and what I believe, but okay. it also has merit. Um, so it was okay. investigated. Oh, okay. Um, and so pretty much the detective said, you know, yes, and killed him, but we have no physical evidence. Okay. Okay. So, and then sister-in-law was with the, was with the brother when they came and picked from Mount Pleasant and he was bragging about killing my husband when he got in the car. Oh, so wow. we have like a signed witness statement that like literally says he was, but it's hearsay. Okay. Right. So, uh, yeah. You know, I got to ask, are you safe sharing this? Where does this person mm -hmm. live? Are you safe to talk about this? Oh yeah. He lives close, but um, yeah. You don't give a fuck. I, I wish a motherfucker would. Um, no, I've shared it. Um, okay. I, I went to clinic with his baby mama and like got his baby mama and kid away from him. So, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. Thank it's you for there. caring. Okay. All right. I just want to yeah. make sure that, you know, this isn't released for the first time on my no. podcast. You end up in <laughs> no, that would be kind of cool though. You know, it'd be kind of cool. No. Yeah. But you know, everybody knows. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Wow. That is insane. So you were three months on methadone when that happened. Yep. How did you, how old were your children when this happened? Eight and four. So, and again, anything I ask, if it's, you know, over the, you know, let me know. What did you say to them at the time? How did you explain what happened or where their dad was? Or how did you, how did you, how did you give them that news? Oh, um, so he was a diabetic. Okay. And they knew that like insulin dependent. So we had to give them shots in the belly of the arm for insulin. Okay. Um, and so they still don't know okay. that he was killed. Okay. Um, and they, I've never actually set a date because it's so close to my oldest's birthday. Yeah. I think she knows cause she's smart as shit. And she looked up his autopsy and saw the date. Oh. Um, but I just kind of like go whoop every time that she says it, I just kind of, eh, you know, what, who yeah. said what, yeah. um, Cause you know, I don't want, I hate for her to associate that shitty shit with her yeah. birthday. But, yeah. um, but so basically I told them that he was re he got really sick. His diabetes was really bad. Sugar was all over the place and that he was prog progressively getting worse. Um, and that the diabetes was just so bad that he died from complications of diabetes. And after, you know, so this Friday would be four years. Um, and so after like a year and a half or two, I did start saying that like the addiction, cause they know obviously about our addictions. And okay. I did say that that did not help that, okay. you know, that did have a part in it, but you know, that he was a diabetic cause that is true. I mean, so that's what they know as of right now. Okay. Wow. Okay. So he passes away. What is the next now that was, you know, four years ago, three, you know, just over three years or four years, you said. Mm -hmm. What does your life look like the next few years? I mean, how did you start putting things together? Have you been clean the whole time? Are you still on, are you doing mat recovery? Are you still method? What, like, what is, what does the rest of the time look like for you? Um, <clears throat> so if it's okay, can I, can I break it up into like the first three years and then of like course. the last? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the first three years after he died, whereas hell, um, depression, wanting to use. Um, so I have been clean the whole time. So February 1st of 18 was my four years clean okay. um, date. So, um, and I am still on mat methadone. Okay. Okay. Um, so it was very dark though. It was very confused, very angry, um, trying to piece it together. 
um, wanting to go after the guy, but knowing that my husband would be like, hell no, um, you know, I'm the only parent they have left. So it was stressful. Um, I was the strict one. He was the lenient one. So how do you, how do you get to the middle of parenting and, um, how do you hold them up? And I had to lie for five days after he died to like prepare them for, you know, like I, I lied lying up to it. So it wouldn't be like, bam, you know, um, I mean, it still hurt obviously, but huh. I, t I just, you know, every day he got sicker kind of thing. Okay. And so I wasn't able to show any emotion of him being gone right. for five days. <clears throat> so it kind of built like a, a grief block in my head. So um, every time about this year, I would, I just, you know, would start spiraling and getting really bad off kind of um, secluding, you know, like depression, not wanting lazy, not wanting to do anything, you know, what you'd expect. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. Nothing off the wall, but um, it was, it was hell. I, I struggled so, so badly, not wanting to live. Obviously I wanted to, I wanted to be dead. When, when I found him, I had dirt under my nails for two weeks that I almost had to get surgically my fingernails pulled up to get the dirt from under my nails because it was raining. And when I found him and my world was just like spinning, like cyclone, like spinning. And I was like screaming at God to take me to, or give him back or, you know, please do. I can't do it. Like breaking things, trying to like grip down. Cause I was spinning and I was so dizzy. And so my hands were like clawed into the ground oh and God. I had dirt that far, like all the way, like past my cuticle underneath through my top of my fingernail. Oh my so God. it was a really bad, I mean, you know, oh. that and I saw him, you know, I know what he looks like. That's the last vision I had. Um, so I don't get, I didn't get along with my mother-in-law at all for, you know, it's been on and off getting along for the past 15 years anyway. Um, but so it was just, it was terrible. Wow. Um, yeah, it was just absolutely terrible, but just to get a little more positive. Um, so in the last like nine months, so I found, I work for a RCO or recovery organization okay. called Wake Up Carolina. Okay. And um, <clears throat> I originally found them when I started the methadone clinic, the August after he died, they had an overdose awareness like event where people who died of an overdose or, you know, related to any kind of drug loss, um, they do like a slideshow if you send in the picture and then they do like a luminary bag ceremony with the Narcan training. Okay. Then September recovery month, um, they do a big walk over our really big bridge to bring awareness and like positivity. Um, so that's originally how I found them. So for three years, I went to the events kind of in and out. But so about nine months, almost a year ago, I was like, you know what? I, I want to be a part and like volunteer. <clears throat> so I kind of dove into it. Again, long story short, they offered me a position to co-chair their all recovery um, adult meetings called Compass. So I started co-chairing and it kind of took off. I started getting closer with people. So they offered me a job. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So I started at first, it was just 10 hours doing like HIV program assistant and like, you know, any, um, anyway, so it's to speed it up. Um, now I'm doing 20 or more hours. So I do peer support, harm reduction, any kind of like recovery, you know, situation, the HIV program, um, you know, assistant, any of that is like all the, you know, all the things, anything. Um, I got my certified peer support specialist. Um, they paid for it, which was oh, amazing. So cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so Wake Up just quickly started because our executive director, Nancy Shipman, lost her son Creighton at 19 to an overdose right out of a treatment. And she saw a need in the community for mothers who had kids struggling with addiction or had lost children to addiction. So she started a mom's group. Dad started wanting to come in. So they did a dad's group, grew into a siblings group once a month which grew into a young adult meeting um, called Creighton's House. And the reason it's called Creighton's House is because a lot of young adults don't want to tell their friends, I got to go to a meeting. So if they say, I'm going to Creighton's House, which is her son's name, Creighton, um, they're going to Creighton's House, right? Um, Which then grew to the all adult um, compass that I facilitate fully now. Um, I facilitate it. I'm not co-chairing anymore. So it's been amazing. And through Wake Up, I have really found my, my purpose, my calling. Uh, people think I'm crazy. I say all the time because I climbed out of hell just to jump back in, you know, to try to teach other people how to get out. But I love it. And it's, I've never, this is a life now that I never thought in a thousand years ever, active addiction, the last three years before this, that I would ever get to. Like, I did not see what my potential would be and how I could inspire people or, um, you know, all recovery is like kind of a hard thing. A lot of people are 12 step in a, and they don't believe that if you're on mat, let alone an antidepressant that you're clean. And we don't do that over here, all recovery, all pathways, you know, everything, you know, it's recovery is recovery. And, you know, we say a lot where there's breath, there's hope. So, you know, we just, it's, I recover loudly because silence kills is probably my favorite little quote because there's so much shame, as y'all know, around all of this. And I am so like proud to be an addict, a recovering addict, but an addict, like it might sound crazy to some, but I, I mean, I got my shirt recover out loud, you know, um, (laughs) I, I love it. I, I wear my jacket says, ask me about Narcan training. Like I wear it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I am so proud to be an addict and a recovering addict that we are the, we're the strongest people. We're warriors. You know, we've beat things that other people couldn't dream uh, of ever living through, let alone getting through. Um, and most of us don't make it. So I refuse to ever be silent uh, ever, you know? ever because there is no reason for any of us to have shame and that's what I love the most about my job is screaming to not be ashamed you know to live your life be proud of what you've lived through I want to I want to go back to where you you talked about excuse me you talked about AA and NA and like how they have like um you know it it taught it even says in the literature that they have no opinion on like medication and stuff like that like there's pamphlets within the groups but it, the members seem to forget because I, because I, you know, I, I go to 12 step meetings myself, you know, because that, that, that's what works for me. But I'm fully, you know, if you want to smoke weed, if you want to take methadone, if like that, that provides you a better quality of life, like I'm all for it. Like, I just want your life to get better. I don't want you to die. I don't want your family to watch you die. I just want you to have a better life overall. And whatever that looks like for you, I totally support you. But, you know, I, I think it's so, I, I think it's funny, but I also think it's sad that, you know, like there's literature like in the meetings that say like, we have no opinion on medication and like people that think they're, that have an opinion and they're, it's like, are you a fucking doctor or you're not? Well, shut the fuck up. Right. Like where, where did, where did you get the qualifications to tell this motherfucker they can't take medication? 
Like shut like that shit pisses me the fuck off. And like I like I was just talking like I understand like the like NAA, you know, like we don't want to dilute our message of like, you know, like like, you know, like we stay abstinent and stuff like that. But also like we shouldn't chastise a fucking newcomer for being on methadone. Like let's not run them out of the fucking room. Like we should hold them tight. Like they like it's okay for them to be here. Like we need to be more loving towards people. Like I understand we have a message of, of absence and stuff like that, but we shouldn't how we treat them. Like if we run them off, they might die. Like we should hold them, like just wrap them up. You know what I mean? And, and you know, cause I've been on Suboxone, it, you, know, you know what I mean? I know what that's like. You know, and, and like, I'm not on it now, but I just, there's just like so much like disconnection there. And like, you know, I, I was always taught like, you know, we're supposed to be inclusive and not exclusive when we exclude these people. Like, you know, like what the fuck are we doing? It literally says in the big book, love and tolerance. Yeah. Are our yeah, code. yeah. And also the steps are defined as a program for living for those who are wanting to seek relief from active addiction, whatever that meant to them. Yeah. So my opinion on that is that too, like, I think the steps, I think the steps would be helpful for somebody who's not even in sobriety. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just somebody who's working with like codependent issues. What does, you said you chair this and it's compass recovery. Is that a type of recovery or like a meeting or what does that look like mm -hmm. for a structure? Are there meetings that you guys go to? What is that? Um, yeah. So compass all recovery is um, it's a meeting. So it's at my office um, in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and I facilitate it. So I run the meetings. Um, I'm trying to build it right now. Um, it's it's relatively new. So we, you know, a lot of a lot of the um, treatment facilities and sober livings haven't really accepted us as one of their meetings that they are approved yet, because a lot of them are. 12 step or NAAA. And I want to make sure that I just make it very clear that I do, I support every single pathway that there is smart recovery in any, you know, 12 step in a abstinence, smoking weed, whatever. Um, I support all of it. All recovery is, is a, I'm very, very, very strongly, like very serious about all recovery and all pathways. Um, 12 step did not work for me personally. Like, you know, Nate said it, you know, it's worked for him. It, it did not work for me. Um, but I know a thousands of people that it did work for. So I agree with like what y'all said. It's, um, it's in, in the meetings. If, if you are 12 step based, come on in. If NA, come on in. AA, come on in. All recovery. If you stand on your freaking head for eight hours a day, cause it, fucks up your blood cell I don't care Go, come on in you know yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're coming for a snack come on in you know yes. like just come on in um holding the door just you know that open door policy having somewhere safe a safe place for them to go and just meeting people where they're at no matter where that where no matter where that is um, meeting structure do you guys go around and share like similar to like what do you guys do during the course of an hour-long meeting say so, so I start with an introduction of like who we are, what we are, um, very quick, very brief. I go into like my, you know, just a quick who I am, my, you know, drug of choice, how clean I am or whatever, you know, whatever I feel like sharing quickly. We go around and do a quick introduction. Um, I go back in and say, you know, does anybody have anything that they want to share or, you know, discuss, get lived experience on? We do not tell each other what to do. It's only, you know, lived experience and what worked for you. We, we don't need anybody in here bossing everybody around, you know, um, but if you want to share and hear others' opinions on what worked for them, let's do it. If nobody wants to share, which I've never had happen, but if nobody wanted to share, or if it doesn't take up the whole time, 
Um, I do have like a list of like meeting topics, you know, like self-care triggers, how to handle this. So, you know, like I do have a list of like things like that to like start conversations. Um, once we get through, I close it out. I make sure that um, my, my biggest thing that I make sure I say is that if anybody has come here and they feel worse than they did when they got here and they don't feel better to please pull me or another, you know, member aside because we want everybody leaving feeling better, not worse. The point of this is to feel supported, loved, cared about, lifted up, not anything less than. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have a work phone. So everybody has my number. I do peer support, obviously, like I said. So we kind of close it out. There's snacks. If I feel if there's people who have more and I can like feel it, I stay extra. I mean, I'll stay an hour over if, if I need to, just to continue talking through. Yeah. Um, so it kind of just kind of how it goes, but it's normally about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Okay. Um, I have a kind of a random question from the earlier part of your story. So you struggled with addiction. Sounds like your sister did too. I've noticed. So Nate's father's in law enforcement too. Your father's in law enforcement. Is there, do you think, and you may not know, but do you think there's a connection between having a parent in law enforcement and struggling? Or do you think it's just like the odds are there are so many addicts in the world. Some of them are going to have parents in law enforcement and there's no connection. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Uh, so kind of both. I think the odds are there's so many of us that like right. we're just okay. destined to, to have it. But I also think that um, in the early stages of addiction too, um, it's kind of like a, you think you know better. You think you can get away with it in a way. You think you like, you know, if if I get caught shoplifting, this guy knows my dad, he might not arrest me or like some something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before too. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I mean, I grew up in a town of like 1500 people. My dad was like the chief of police. He was a sheriff deputy. My brother was the jail, like working at the jail. And in my head, I was like, dude, I'm so good. Like I will be the best drug dealer ever. Like, like seriously, like I wrecked, I split a telephone pole and I had a stolen pistol under my seat. My, my toolbox was full of drugs. Like, I mean, I had scales, I had cocaine weighed out in quarter bags. Like, like, you know, I had like a half pound of weed, like all this shit. And this lady literally gave a statement saying that I fell asleep and the cop, he came up, he was like, what happened? And I gave some bullshit story. Like my food fell on the floorboard and I took the wheel with me and smacked the pole. <laughs> I absolutely nodded the fuck out. Are you kidding me? And he was like, okay. And took my story. Wow, and I was like, crazy. I was so privileged. Like I used the fuck out of that shit. I loved it. It was the greatest thing ever. Like I was like, dude, this is like a fucking book. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, take a pass. Like okay. I milked that yeah. shit dry for the record. <laughs> so interesting. I definitely have heard that yeah. specific answer, you know? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of our audience either wanting to get clean, not there yet. That's the DMs I get. They're like, dude, I love your show. I'm still strung out, whatever. And I'm like, you're actually who I'm talking to because I was strung out for so long and wanting to get clean. It sounds like you too, all those years of doing CPS and doing the things and fucking eating the tramadol. And like, you know, that's the struggle part. You know what I mean? Those years, but like, there's a lot of beauty in those years too, because that's when we're wanting change and we're looking for solution. That's a lot of it. And then people that are really new too. If somebody approached you who wasn't quite, usually I ask for a tip for someone that's new, but I'm feeling compelled to ask you something slightly different. If somebody approached you who was still actively using, 
and was like, I need, what do I do? Like, how do I get myself to a place where I find some solution? Like, what would you say? I think, I mean, I think you have to make sure that you want it first. You know, are you being pressured into it or do you really want it? Uh, Cause that's a big difference. And two is you call and you, you call every single place and you don't stop calling. Do not, do not take no for an answer. If you have to take no for an answer, okay, then who would you send me to? Stay productive, you know, stay focused, try not to get discouraged and make sure there's support. Don't do it alone, you know, support. Uh, Part of my job at Wake Up is that we have people call. That's why I kind of like froze and like, what would I say? Because part of my job is that when people call and they say that, I have a shit ton of lists of um, nonprofits, faith-based um, treatment and sober livings, pay as you go, female, male, you know, free, all that. So that's that's why I was like, uh, give them the list that I have, you know, but right. obviously, you know, more than that, um, having a support system. I think that if I wouldn't have had a support system, somebody like holding me accountable, I guess is the way I should say it. Having somebody hold you accountable and is, is the hugest thing to me, you know, cause I didn't, I did not have, luckily I held myself accountable, but, um, I almost, I almost slipped up because I, I didn't have any accountability for anything. Is wake up just for South Carolina right now? Is that just a state-based or even local Charleston? Is that just something that a, a service that you guys have there locally? Yeah. So mainly, so we do, it's, it's mainly low country based. However, we do um, kind of partner and on our, we have all over, all over the state, we have resources. So if somebody in Missouri or Minnesota or New York needed resources, um, the worst that could possibly happen is that we would have a warm handoff to somebody in their area that could, could help them better. Okay. Um, but we have a bunch of lists for Narcan, free Narcan, um, all, all resources you could think of, sober living, treatment, detox, Narcan, uh, harm reduction, needle exchange, you know, life kits, all the things um, everywhere. Okay. So if you don't mind, I would love to include that number in our show notes so that, you know, Absolutely. maybe because we, we do actually randomly, we have a bunch of listeners in the South. I'm not really sure. I, I don't know why, but we've got a fair amount of listenership actually in the South. So I'll include that. And then I have another question about, cause I used with somebody for a long time. We were together, it's my boyfriend. And the most ludicrous, craziest shit happens between two partners when they are shooting dope and stealing shit from Walmart together. It's fucking crazy. And you will not leave each other for death, for nothing. You know what I mean? And so, but I, did you ever think about during that time, did you think I should leave this guy or was it like, or did you think we, we, I want to get him better? We can get better together. Did you go through all those phases? What do you think now looking back? Like, I just want to hear your thoughts around, and I know this is probably still like a fairly raw subject. So just, you know, what you're comfortable with. How do you feel about all that now looking back on that relationship? Oh, that's a good question. That's a real, I've never had anybody ask me that. Um, so yeah, th- there were, um, there were a lot of times where I was like, this is so fucking toxic. Yeah. So fucking toxic. Like, this is so toxic. <laughs> like, what are, what are we doing? Like how, how, 
it's 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 going to be so hard for me on my own to be sober and stay sober how how can i do that with how is there two of us like what if one of us you know if one fails the other is probably going to fail um so i definitely had like um a lot of like apprehension you know like i was apprehensive about a lot of different like aspects but um but for the most part like you said it was like ride or die you know i wasn't going anywhere he wasn't going anywhere um looking back well, I'll say when I got sober and I was like that three and a half months before he passed, I was, I was getting kind of angry. Um, like I'm sober, I'm showing you a different way. I know how to get, I know how to get this different way. Like I'm, I'm living proof of it already. You know, why aren't you following me? Like, why aren't you, why aren't you doing something? Why are you still using, why are you still, but of course they don't want to abandon him and him die, you know, from God forbid, not being loved enough or, you know, whatever. So I would go over there when he was twitching and sit on him and wrap my hand around him and hold him down and tell him stories about how we met, you know, just stuff you already knew, but just anything to get in his head and calm him down. So I got really sick of that shit, but I, I did, I loved him and I, um, he absolutely, Kenny made me who I am today. He made me this, the strength that I've got, the perseverance, the resilience, that's all him. That's all what he has helped me. My, I'm a mother. I was a wife. Like he built me into this person. And if he had not, I would not, I would not have the balls to sit here and be saying all this to you guys or going out there knowing I'm going to be judged and just sticking the middle finger up and being like, yep, junkie, call, say it again, say it again. Did you feel better? Do you feel better? You know, like got anything better than that? I mean, you know, I, I take the hate and I take the criticism and I love it. Like keep it coming because at least we're talking about it, right? You're talking about it. Right, Awareness. Right. Yeah. Um, but so looking back, just to finish the question, looking back, definitely, I have no regrets, but, um, but I do see, I do see why it was a spiral and why it was like a hamster wheel of problems. Yeah. Um, and I, and I will say as much as I love him, I love him. And this is my wedding ring is on my necklace. And then the infinity is our symbol that we have matching tattoos and his ashes are in this. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I wear it all the time. Um, and then I don't know if you can see my little, what, uh, my tattoo that's always, that's his initials. Yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, I love him, but I don't know that I would be clean still if he would have made it through. Right. So, um, you know, God had a plan and this is my walk, my journey. This is my life and my story. And, uh, I just have to trust that what happened was for a reason. And if the worst reason out of it is I became a bad recovering bitch, then <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think one of the coolest things people do is turn the tragedies of the people that passed into what you're doing right now. You know, like what a better way to honor his memory and his life and the love that you guys did have. And I think from the outside, there's a lot of judgment around those crazy recover, uh, those crazy dope fiend relationships. Cause I've seen it. You know what I mean? People were looking at me and my ex, like, I mean, we were a fucking nightmare, but like, I'd never, I was never going to break up with them. You know what I mean? Never. He moved. And at that, I finally was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I've been arrested five times with this guy, in like three years <laughs> strike. I'd never been arrested before. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real fucking problem. But like, if he had stayed here, you know, that I probably wouldn't be hosting this show right now. And there's like, I get it at the time. There's a lot of judgment around that. 
but when you're in it, it's, it's still valid. And I feel like people think like, you guys were shooting dope together. You're just idiots. And it's like, no, when I met him, we weren't, you know what I mean? Like don't dismiss my whole fucking love for this person. You know what I mean? Like, I still feel that way to this day. I'm so glad we're not together. He's doing better too. You know, I'm very glad we're not together anymore, but like, it was real, you know? And I feel like sometimes that, you know, people don't, they don't really want to like see that, you know? So I just want to take a second and honor that with you. Like, I know that that was, you know what I mean? Like that was a legit marriage. I can feel that you loved him, but I also believe in what you said just now that like, there was a purpose for this and you've turned it into something good, you know? Yeah. And people do like, like you said, you're absolutely right. They, you know, I met my husband at 15 years old on the bus, right. on the school bus. Yeah, I would not give him my phone number. And he got a friend of mine to trick me into saying my phone number out loud. Oh so he can memorize it. And he texted me and said, a girl, E-Y, not hey, E-Y-A oh girl sure. with a U, G-U-R-A. Right. I mean, you know, 15. And I said, hey, Kenny. And he's like, how'd you know it was me? I said, Oh, I've had your number in my phone for weeks. And he was like, and you didn't, you know, and it just like, it just grew. And and we did, I mean, we broke up, we dated nine months at 15, broke up, dated two different, different people for two years, got back together. Um, and, you know, we, and it wasn't a lot of times it's so funny. Cause like you said, it, it became at 15 to like 18. It was, Oh, as soon as they, you know, do the business they're going to break up it's all physical once they do the thing it's you know over i don't know what i can say what i can't say you can say whatever you want but do the business is cute so we'll leave that. okay so <laughs> we'll, we'll say do the business um once they do the business you know it'll be in cut um yeah. and so when we got back together at 18 because we knew each other that long and didn't do the business when we were 18 we got back together our anniversary is june 10th of 2008 we didn't do the business until July 17th of that year because yeah. he wanted to prove a point that that was not the reason we were together. Yeah. Um, and so, and so then it went from, okay, they're still together having kids to then, oh, they're just together because they had a kid to then, oh, they're just together because they're junkies and they use together, you know, then because she feels bad and now she's moving up and he's not, she doesn't want to leave him behind. Always something. It can't yeah. just be, because this man was made for me and I was made for him. And he's my, you know, maybe I have more than one soulmate. You know, I know that through addiction and everything that Kenny was the best man I have ever known, the best dad. He was an amazing husband. He loved me. I don't know how he put up with my shit. <clears throat> no idea. Cause there's a lot of it, but he did. And, and it just was that, like you said, it was just, I love this person. And that person loved me as a person. And it doesn't have to go any further than that. That's right. just what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just curious because I, you know, I'm from the South. I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I told you that. Like, I, I'm from Jellico. I'm sure you have no idea where in the podunk <laughs> fuck that is. But it's in the middle of nowhere. And so I, I know, like, what the stigma like is there. I, you know, I know they're like, most people there are like, oh, Darwin's theory. Just let them fucking die. You know, they're just kill themselves out. You know what I mean? They're like, fucking junkies. So I just wanted to know, cause, cause I, I don't know if you know me, but I, I do harm reduction too. I, I just, you know, I, I give out needles and, and, you know, whatever people need, um, uh, Narcan, I do wound care, all that stuff. So I just wanted to know like what, what it's like, um, in the South, as far as like harm reduction, maybe more so like where you're at. Um, cause I know even in California, like it's, it's still like a hard push. Like, you know, it's, 
it, like some people are for it. Some people are against it. Some people here are just like, oh, just let them fucking die, you know, fucking junkies, you know. So I just want to know like what it's like there. Uh, so we have a really good community um, just to start to say. However, there um, a lot of people around here do not want to admit that there is a drug problem. Okay. They are nope. in the fog. They're in the, you know, they're in the ignorance and the uneducated, you know, unaware um, or just head in the sand. Um, so we're really pushing to like get in your face with it um, because it is a problem and our numbers. So last year, the numbers came out for um, the low country. Our average May 2021 overdoses was 45. May 2021. As of May 13th of this of this year, we were already at 41. Oh my gosh. Now, mind you too that this is this is strictly EMS first responders that are putting these numbers in. And not to mention any other overdose or any other thing or something that Narcan brought back that they didn't even call because thank God we push a shit ton of Narcan out or over here. I mean, it's, it's like I said, I have a jacket, ask me about Narcan. I carry it with me. I'm trained obviously to, you know, I mean, I can be at a gas station in five minutes, train somebody how to do it and give it to them. Like yeah. I, I make sure people have it. I have it. Um, my family has it not because I'm going to need it, but because of that person at the gas station or on the side of the road. Um, so there's a lot of people with head with their head in the sand, but there's also a lot of people who do see that there's a problem and they want to help. Um, but I have come across some um, people who need Jesus that uh, <laughs> who have said, you know, yeah, just let them die. And to that, by uh, Jesus, do you mean like an interview with Jesus, as in like <laughs> an ass whooping? Is that what? That's because you know that's what like uh, my brother would always say. Like we had a. What do you say? We had it. We had come a meeting. Come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus yeah, meeting. So yeah. like, I take yeah. that as they need like an ass whipping. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. Nate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I'll do the dings. Okay. Um, yes. They, they need their ass whipped. Um, saying that somebody should die for any reason is just ignorant as, as hell. And, um, and it's, it is, it's ignorance. It's uneducated. It's unaware. Also, it's not in their best interest. And I always use myself as an example for example, so I overdosed in an Angelo's bathroom in Oceanside. Oh, okay? nice. Sure. Died. They got good right. food there. They I mean, the, but I never it's, ate good, it. it's good that you didn't die there. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just um, <laughs> I never ate food there. I was only using the bathroom. Overdosed. <laughs> the guy, the one that I was with for years that we had the crazy talk to save my life, outside was like carrying me away as cops were showing up. If he hadn't been there and I had been alone, I would have died. And I now, I own this gym, right, in San Diego. And during COVID, everything closed. I have 10 women that work for me. Some of them are single moms. They're students. I kept all 10 of them employee, employed during the pandemic. Not one of them took a pay cut from me. They took pay cuts from everywhere else that they worked. And they had the space to come here, provide for themselves, their families, and the other people that work out here. And I provided a safe space for people during a global pandemic when they needed it. I'm a fucking junkie. And if I had died in that bathroom, I mean, thousands of people were affected positively by my being alive during the past few years. And I think people don't look at it that way. It's like, it's not just a street junkie, right? We're actually losing a generation of potential 
fitness studio owners, potential Narcan, you know, Narcan training people, potential. And there are so many people that were in recovery that aren't like us that are talking about it that go on to, you know, go to law school if they didn't have a record, right? And they could be defending somebody that you know or prosecuting somebody that you know if you're, uh, but they might end up, you know, people are, you know, the, the people that are dying could actually really provide in your community too. And I think people don't think about that. You know, like I, I had stuff to offer. And if I had died in that bathroom, you know, there would have been a domino effect that was negative, you know? Absolutely. And that's, you know, there's so many, JR, you know, he works with the vets. And what if he, what if he would have overdosed and died and, and he wouldn't be here, you know, to help all these vets and to bring awareness to all of this. He does so much in the recovery community that it, it is doing wonders in Charleston, especially, you know, um, if I would have overdosed, if I would have gotten so high that I hit a tree driving from the country, you know, snorting 300 milligrams of oxy at a time. I mean, like so many, so many different things there's, there are, you know, there's like a, I can't remember what he's a politician though, but um, he was an addict and like came out of it and is now like a politician helping people and doing amazing things that you would never look at, you know, lawyers, doctors. I mean, and at the methadone clinic that you think of like a junkie as somebody under the bridge is the idea. When you think of an addict, when you think of a junkie, you think of somebody stealing your shit and, and homeless and under a bridge, but that's not what what we are anymore right we are functioning working you know barely getting by somewhat taking care of kids you know yeah. it's progress you know it has it has to be progress not perfection yeah it has to be progress yeah. not perfection and if you're not if you're not growing then you're stalled and being stalled is is not anything good it's that's a negative growth is the only way the only way and in growth we need people to not be overdosed on on, on dope you know yeah. you know and maybe that's a personal growth that some of these people need is yeah. bringing you know reviving right because that it's a huge you know letting people die should never ever it's a character defect too you yeah. know because you should never be okay, no matter what the purpose or the reason or the cause is to ever just let somebody die. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for your thank time. You. Thank you. Was, thank yeah. you guys. Yeah, that thank you a, so much. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'll include, if you want really quickly, do you want to give like the places where people can find you and your resources? And I'll include some of this in the show notes too. Yeah. So um, I guess like Facebook wise, it's just Amanda, um, Amanda Mast, M-A-S-T, um, Darnell, D-A-R-N-E-L-L. -L. Um, and then Wake Up Carolina is where I work. Um, so the office number is 843-972-8154. And then is it okay you think if I do my like work cell phone? If you want, no. I mean, it's up to you. Okay. Yeah, if you're open to somebody contacting you and you feel safe. Uh, absolutely. Um, because, you know, work hours, they won't be able to get in touch. So I want to make sure there's somebody 24-7. Um, so my work cell phone is 843-494-0118. You might have somebody else texting you, hey, girl. <laughs> they might listen and get your number and be like, hey, girl. Hey. You, know, you never know. You know, you never know. the dream work. 
<laughs> Man, I just got to say too, like for you to give out your a personal number that can be contacted to you. I've had a lot of people on the show. I've never had anybody do that. You obviously like really care about people. And, you know, from somebody that was walking out of Walmart with stolen TVs, this is who we really, <laughs> we're in there. You know what I mean? We're people that would give out our personal number on a podcast to help somebody else, you know? So thank you so much for your time. And thank you, guys. you would ask when this is coming out, this will be out on Thursday. I'll send you the links. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple, all those places. Are you on Instagram too, or just Facebook? Yeah. Instagram too. What's um, your I'll tag you on Instagram. You know, I'm not even sure what it, I okay. mean, I, don't, I think it's like sober mama or something like that. Okay. All right. <laughs> but if, if you, if you're interested, find chasing heroin on Instagram, follow me and then I'll tag okay. you. It's not necessary. Um, no, I would, I'll do that. I'd love that. Available. Yeah. I'll, I'll tag you. So, um, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Sorry about being the, the little time thing. No, okay. I don't think I said Pacific. I, I don't know why I thought you lived here, even though JR referred you. So I should have realized you lived in the South. I don't know. You know what I mean? So, but that's a reminder. These, these Southern people and their damn clocks, man. That's what <laughs> I messaged him on Facebook and I was like, Hey, I think I was supposed to meet with her, but I can't get in touch with her. And he was like, us Southerners aren't great with the time zones. Let me reach out to her. Like that. <laughs> My dad is the same way. He's yeah. like, what time's it in California right now? And I'm like, dad, you ask me this every fucking time we talk. He's it's like, always three hours. Yeah, I'm like, we're three hours behind you and you're three hours ahead, dad. Next day, what time's it out there, son? <laughs> I know. Fuck? For some reason, I thought it was four. Yeah. I thought it was four. And then JR did message me and he said, Janine says, where are you at? And I'm like, <laughs> Shit, 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 shit. you know I'm coming. oh my god Janine says where you at and I'm thank you so so much for your time and I'm always thank you guys I have any questions or anything okay thank you guys y'all have a You're good welcome. day hey, thank you